Hi, y'all. This is Kristen Chenoweth. Hi, I'm Gloria Stefan. This is Sarah Bareilles. Hi, I'm Patty Lapone. This is Lynn Manuel Miranda. You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. This episode is dedicated to Marsha Kramer, the talented actor and friend who starred as Wendy in the 1979 revival of Peter Pan and who passed away last week at the age of 74. We will all miss Marsha's compassionate heart, fierce loyalty, and sparkly blue eyes. Marsha, say hi to Neverland for us. Welcome, everybody, to a musical theater podcast where we discuss the cultural and emotional impact of our favorite shows in musical theater history. My name is Jeffrey Scott Parsons. You can call me Jeff. Hi, Katie Deshaun. Hi, Jeff. Katie, you're here with me, (laughs) and we're going to discuss Peter Pan today. Yay! Which I'm actually very excited about because last week was Frozen. Oh, yeah, with Bruce. Yeah, with Bruce. So we're discussing a a family-friendly musical again. It's family time. However... During the Frozen episode, I talked about how I didn't really think it was a show crying out to be a stage adaptation. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And with Peter Pan, I feel like this is a great example of a show that makes for a perfect stage adaptation, more or less because it was originally a play. I was going to say, wasn't it originally? Yeah, even before it was a book or a novel, it was a play. I feel smart. Because <laughs> you are. You're Yay! very intelligent, Katie. Uh, we also have a very coincidental connection to this show. Was this your first musical? It was like one of my second or third musicals. Okay. First was Annie because, well, I was a child, yeah. uh, a female child. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I think it was like my second or third musical and I did it in 95? And what did you, who were you in the show? So I was the Michael understudy, but I was there all the time because my dad was in it. Oh. So they were like, do you want to just be a lost boy as well? And I was like, yeah. So all the lost boys were like local high school boys and then me. Yes. So I was very lucky and was one of the guys and they would all carry me around and it was really fun. Um, And my dad was Captain... No, my dad was not Captain Hook. He was Mr. Darling but didn't play Captain Hook. Oh, okay. They deviated. Sure. Um, The tradition. Yeah, but it was really fun and 
Um, my sister and my mom were always there. So at the Grove Theater in Upland. and Yes, really Southern fun. California. Southern California. The community theater bringing families together. <laughs> we loved doing things as a family. Really? That's so cute. Yeah. What else did you guys do together? We now I'm interested. Music Man. I was the Winthrop understudy. <laughs> <laughs> okay. I, so, um, you really crafted same, a career for yourself. I crafted it as the little boy understudy as a <laughs> six and seven year old girl. Um, all four of us were in that, and then my sister and my dad did Barnum together, which was amazing. Oh. Um, we did Fiddler on the Roof together, naturally, which maybe the Deshans shouldn't have done, but we were pretty, <laughs> we were pretty hilarious. What else? Oliver. Oh my heavens! You mm-hmm. guys, we were, were the like sourberries, the the lunt, <laughs> the lunts of Upland. We yeah, we had a lot of fun. I I think at some point, and I'm not sure what the order of operations here is with my childhood, but at some point, my family started doing community theater together, and yeah. I think it was either because my parents realized that if they wanted to spend time with me, they needed to participate. Bingo. Or because the people in the community realized that if I was in the show, they could get my mom to play the piano and my dad to play an adult, which is very difficult to track down. Yes. Either way, it was family fun time, and I'm really grateful for those <laughs> memories. <laughs> it was fun because both my parents did theater in college but um, knew they weren't going to try and pursue it as careers. And they were both teachers, so they would have nights off, quote-unquote, because oh, yeah, yeah. teachers never have time off because they're amazing. Mm-hmm. And so that was kind of our family fun time thing that we did. Like play. Um, yeah, and we really enjoyed it. And my parents would allow me to have the Friday before opening night off from school. So oh. I was like, all right, everyone, bye. What a great tradition. I know, because I'd be tired like your from Your mental tech. health day. Yeah. Well, we, I mean, we would stay there until like 11 p.m. And for me now— as a 30-something-year-old, I'm like, I need to go to bed at 10. It's, so No, yeah. as an adult, I, we, I get to 10, like after 10 p.m. <laughs> at rehearsals and my brain shuts down. I'm like, don't teach me anything new. Do you get the Friday off before you open? Do you always take never. the Friday off? <laughs> never we, as an adult. We never get the days off before opening. Are you kidding me? If only. I know. Yeah. My first experience with Peter Pan was my first musical. It was your first? Period. Oh. I was in fifth grade, and I, too, played Michael. No, you played Michael. I understudied Michael. <laughs> did Here's you ever get difference. to go on, by the way? I did. See? Multiple you times. You played Michael. That's the right. rule. I played it, I mean, probably like four or five times. But I remember getting a call one day after school, and they were like, Katie's on for Michael tonight. And I was like, oh, yes, <laughs> seven years old, yeah. however old. That's yeah. how I felt, though. It was my. It was somehow my first musical, and yet I was— Attached to the industry (laughs) enough to know that by being cast in the high school production of Peter Pan as an an elementary school kid, I had made it. That is it. That's the pinnacle. It was the pinnacle. And I still remember how the high school auditorium smelled. Like not because I later went to that high school. But when I think of that smell, I still think back to when I was in fifth grade, not to when I was there in high, high school. school. Oh, my gosh. The other fun thing is all of the elementary schools in the district came to see the production. We would do student matinees. So you a celebrity? So my hey – <laughs> So my elementary school got to come see me fly. I was going to ask, did you fly? Yes. Oh, it was the best. I mean, so magical with with my teddy bear. Yeah. 
and, I used my own teddy bear. And your own pajamas. And my own pajamas. I, <laughs> I feel like my mom knew they were doing Peter Pan and was like, all right, Katie's probably going to be the understudy. So she bought me a pair. We're and just going to get you footy pajamas yeah, just in case. She was ready. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I think as a joke, she brought my dad's a photo of my dad as a child to the audition because I looked just like my dad. So me as a little boy quote-unquote, I guess, looked like my dad, and she thought that was so funny. Oh, my gosh. And it kind of was. Good job, Peggy. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm like, is she going to listen to this? <laughs> I hope so. I, so all your friends got to see you fly. Were they jealous? I mean, it, it wasn't about that for me. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, but I do. I, it was such a thrill. And then, like, you know, I'm riding high, fire burning <laughs> bright, and I remember my— Fifth grade teacher pulling me aside, and I'm not gonna I'm not gonna say his name, but he pulled me aside and said, "Now I minored in theater in in college. Did you know that?" And I said, "No, I, I didn't." And he said, "And I also played the Tin Man in The Wizard of Oz at that college." And I was like, "Oh, that's cool." And then he proceeded to tell me to not go into theater because it's the business is really tough. Who is he? <laughs> and it was my first show, and I'm in fifth grade. But even then, I remember thinking, this guy is full of it. Bleep his name out quick. Say it. Mr. <gasps> Not Mr. <laughs> who was, I believe, later fired for inappropriate things. Cut it out. <laughs> Allegedly. I thought you were going to be like, and his name was Daniel Day-Lewis. <laughs> And here he is today. <laughs> but, like, I understand that he was, I, I don't know. Maybe, no, I don't understand. I don't understand he what he was trying to tell me. Like, what was he trying to do? Like, save don't get me. get too excited. But from then on, I learned that what I was doing in the theater tended to make adults feel uncomfortable. How, what a weird thing. And so from then on, whenever I met with a counselor, I would 100% lie as to what my life goals were. Because you were scared of them. I wasn't scared. I was just, just done. Yeah. I was just like, they don't understand it. And my family knew that—my family was very supportive and also just knew that I found my tribe, right. you know? And so I sat down with my mom before the SEOPs or, you know, all of the, the little parent-teacher conferences. Yeah. And I'm like, all right, I'm just going to say that I'm going to go into business and get an MBA, and, but you and I both know what I want to do, right? And right. she'd be like, yeah. Yeah. I mean, that— when did you um, know that? Around that time, I remember because the the person I understudied, I had to be his understudy because he was on in, in TV and film. And I was like, well, what's that like? So I told my mom, like, how can I be in TV and film? And she's like, well, you have to go to L.A. and I, I think you need an agent because my sweet mom was not a stage mom at all and just wanted us to be happy. Yes. And we had so much fun doing theater. So after that, the woman who ran the theater knew a lot of people in, in the biz in Los Angeles. So... I went out and got headshots with my sister, and my sister was kind of like just along for the ride. Mm -hmm. um, she was a little more quiet, a little more reserved, and a beautiful dancer, and now a beautiful mother. Um, and so we did headshots, and then I went to a couple agency meetings. And because I was like six years old and, and could read pretty well and had done like three things in theater, it's so much easier when you're a kid because I feel like the criteria is like, okay, are you easy to work with? Can you read? Great. 
Yeah. Um, so you, I got an agent. Do you not look like a mongoloid you, on film? <laughs> um, I mean, <laughs> I feel like I do now. Back then, I, I mean, back then my teeth were terrible. Um, but the minute I got braces when I was 13, my agent was like, oh, okay, see you later. <laughs> we, don't, we don't work with children. Uh, they tried to like Photoshop uh like nicer teeth on my headshots when I was like 12 and it was terrifying but so around that time I was just like oh, oh I like gosh. to perform I really liked doing TV and film when I was little but I loved doing theater especially with my family and yeah I think around then it was the, this feeling of of like I had found my tribe as mm-hmm. well it was around that time that I really felt like you could be anything you wanted there and be accepted and just play make-believe isn't it amazing that Peter Pan offers that kind of imagination and creativity more so than almost any other show. And I think you can tell the story in so there's been so many reincarnations of it. You know, we have Peter and the Star Catcher, we have the different musical theater versions, we mm-hmm. have so many different movie versions. I was thinking about Hook yeah. recently because that is such a universal story that everyone can connect with. And you want to know more. You want to know Wendy's backstory, Tinkerbell's backstory, mm-hmm. Hook's backstory. You get to know all of it. And it's magical regardless of what version it is, what incarnation. I think it's one of the best stories of all time, not just one of the most popular or famous stories, but just constructed. It's it's perfect. It's right up there with The Secret Garden. Oh, yes. Um, <laughs> That's one of my favorites too. But what's interesting is that they're all they all have child protagonists. And I think that that is the magic of children's literature yeah. or just storytelling family-friendly storytelling is that when you have this point of view from a child, it works for everybody yeah. and in a in an incredibly profound way. I'd say even Matilda's that oh, way. Oh, I, yes. I was going to say I, Little Princess is up there Little with me. Princess. Secret Garden, yes. Little Princess, you know, Frances yes. and Burnett. And Matilda, you know, the book is very dark. But I feel all these, the, all of those stories, and they were all written in very different time periods mm-hmm. as well. But the the idea of being a child but kind of being in charge of your own world I think is so freeing. Mm. And I think all of those stories have that. But it's also a little scary to be in charge of your own world because even in Peter Pan, he's he's in charge. But he still wants Wendy to be his mother. So Mm -hmm. he knows what the the family structure is and wants to be independent but still wants the idea of family. And I think there's something so beautiful about that. Absolutely. Barry, when he first wrote the play – which was like 1904. Oh, my gosh. So he's writing this play about childhood psychology before it even existed. Oh, my gosh, yeah. You know what I mean? Because of the things you're talking so about, this fact that he's so independent and cocksure of himself. Mm-hmm. And yet, um, oh, which is interesting because he's always crowing. Oh, uh, <laughs> hey. Right? Like the, she says that he's kind of arrogant and conceited. and and, and that's very connected to like cock-a-doodle-doo, mm-hmm. you know? You have that. And then at the same time, really desperately wanting a mother to tell them stories. Yeah. You know, like that dichotomy of childhood is really advanced storytelling based on where the science was at the time. Oh, that's so interesting. I never even thought about it like that. So he writes the play in 1904. 1904. Yeah. And obviously they didn't fly in the original production. I know. (laughs) But but it— we have come to expect a certain degree of spectacle from the show right. because of the flying and everything. But from the get-go, when it was first conceived and performed, it was done so with 
practicality and imagination. Oh, so that. so they they didn't fly, but at the same time they they used really creative things to give the audience the sensation and and allow them to connect to their inner child. And that really says a lot about the the source material that you could sit and watch and use your imagination and it's still just as magical I know as that, it would be now. Absolutely. I know that for Tinkerbell they would someone would stand off stage with a mirror. Oh my goodness. And you know use the light bouncing off the mirror to create the little Tinkerbell on the stage. That is amazing. You know stuff like this that I, I don't know like I almost I think we almost take for granted because you can go see such amazing special effects mm-hmm. in the theater now. That is what I loved about Peter and the Starcatcher when mm, I saw it is everything right. was very practical and they had like hand puppets and the black stash wasn't even a real like mustache. It was makeup or like black tar. It was very cool. And I think it now hearing more about the original production and original play, it probably pays a lot of homage to that. Absolutely. Which I think is really beautiful. Absolutely. There's magic there to be found and enjoyed even mm. in 2020. Oh, for sure. So in 1954 is when the Broadway musical version is written that we're talking about today. Yeah. It was directed and choreographed by Jerome Robbins. Now, if you've listened to the podcast, you know that my friend Jerry and I have a very interesting relationship <laughs> where, I, where I both worship him and also am terrified of the horrible human being that he was at oh, times no. in is his Oh, no. Is he going to get a, like, Fosse Verdon show some, um, one of these days? Maybe. Jerry? Jer. Just Jer. <laughs> Just share. Well, I mean, you've done West Side Story 4,000 times. Yes. So, I mean, you are, you know Jerry. I love Jerry. You know Jer. We'll just call him Jay. (laughs) (laughs) Just keeps getting shorter. (laughs) (laughs) Who's that again? (laughs) But he's also responsible for most of my favorite musicals, Gypsy, Fiddler on the Roof. West Side Story. King and I for me. King and I. Mm-hmm. And uh, and he, Peter Pan was the first musical on Broadway that he both directed and choreographed. He oh. he had choreographed, obviously, you know, King and I yeah, was and was a choreographer for a great deal of time before Peter Pan and had also co-directed a lot of productions. But from what I could find, this is like the first full directed and choreographed by Jerome Robbins. That. I did not know that. What's also fascinating is that this show has a Southern California origin story. <gasps> like us. Right? <laughs> Wait, no. You don't, you're not from Southern No, California. I'm a Utah boy. I was going to say, like me. <laughs> <laughs> it began rehearsing in Pasadena. Yeah, like the whole rehearsal process and everything happened in Pasadena. And then they opened in San Francisco at the Quran Theater. Oh, wow. Right? I did not know that. Before it ever went to New York. At this point... Mary Martin is a huge Broadway star, you know, having starred in South Pacific, among other things. So from the get-go, this is a star vehicle for her. She will be playing Peter, but it was following along in the tradition of women playing Peter. I love that. Yeah. They also had uh, Cyril Cyril Richard. Oh, man, he's so good. Isn't he fantastic? (laughs) There is—when you go back and watch the old TV version— (laughs) <laughs> of this musical, there is a lot of blue eyeshadow. Have you noticed? Oh, blue eyeshadow. He has the mole. Yes, that um, mole. He very he's handsome. Fantastic. He's so good. I love the scene where they do the like tango together with her as like the voice. Yes, because I don't know that I've seen that in any other production, but I love that part. That part gets cut in every it, other. But it's so fun. It is fun, and it's a little strange because it's like Peter's just there under a sheet. <laughs> 
who is that? <laughs> this mysterious lady. <laughs> what? Oh, that's what it is. Mis- oh, mysterious lady. lady. Yeah. I was like, what is it called? Oh, mysterious um, lady. But Cyril, which I, I mean, I'm just obsessed that his name's Cyril. I mean, Cyril yeah. was Australian and won a Tony Award for uh, Best Featured Actor for this. Amazing. For Captain Hook. Yeah. Mary Martin won for Peter Pan. Yeah. And these roles were some of their most famous oh, from from sure. here on out. Okay, so they have their stars. They're rehearsing in Pasadena. <laughs> Go figure. The <laughs> the music is written by Moose Charlap is his name. His real name's Mark, but he goes by Moose. Same. <laughs> <laughs> and the lyrics are by Carolyn Lee. I love that it's a female lyricist. Yeah. Because I feel like... Even nowadays, that's not super common. Not super common. And she had other hits as well, like Little Me. Mm -hmm. But they write most of the score. You know, they're in rehearsals. Jerome Robbins feels like the show isn't there yet, that there's stuff missing. So he calls Julie Stein, who later wrote Gypsy and Funny Girl. Mm -hmm. They had worked together on this musical called High Button Shoes. Yes. And he asked Julie Mail to write some more songs, some mm-hmm. supplementary material. So then the score kind of becomes an amalgamation of the score that Moose wrote and the score <laughs> that Julie wrote with Comden and Green, Adolph Green and, and mm-hmm. Betty Comden, another female lyricist. Love that. They wrote On the Town, wrote mm-hmm. the screenplay for Singing in the Rain. So they both write scores. And as we talk about the show, we'll talk about who wrote what songs. We should play a game. Who wrote this? Who wrote this? <laughs> Once you get the idea, you're like, oh, I see where the holes were in the show. And I'm sure that Jerome, Jerry, I'm sure. Jay. Yeah, I'm sure Jay was like, I need <laughs> we need something here. Although I don't know why he didn't just ask Moose to. I mean, come on, Moose. Because Moose write, writes some great songs for this show. Yeah. This is his big hit. I was reading about him the other night, and I said, okay, this is this was kind of it for him. But, I mean, if it's you a, have one I mean, big hit, this is the hit. This is Let's a, talk this about is it. fantastic. <laughs> and, and it's not to say that he didn't write great songs for other shows that were mm-hmm. just less successful. But my favorite of his is, whoop up, exclamation points. <laughs> Is that a song? It's a name of a musical. <laughs> Whoop up? Whoop up. I can't wait for that episode on this. <laughs> Who are you going to interview for that? Just someone off the an street. An entire episode. About... <laughs> Whoop up. <laughs> Excuse me, sir. Would you like to talk about this musical? Whoop up. Uh, no. no. Actually. I'm I wanna... late for work. <laughs> <laughs> so it premieres in San Francisco and then it transfers to Broadway. The Broadway. The Broadway in New York City. It has a limited engagement of only like 150 performances. I think they did that back then. That's yeah. all the rage these days. It is. The celebrities. Right? Because they can only <laughs> afford to give us as oh. much of their time. But they do 150 shows because they were contracted to film it oh. for television. See, I feel like that is all such modern it stuff, is. It which is. I love. And here's the crazy thing. This is what blew my mind. Are you ready for this? The I'm already te- sitting, so. <laughs> <laughs> the television adaptation of Cinderella, the Rodgers and Hammerstein yeah. TV Cinderella, was after Peter Pan. Wait, the Leslie Ann Warren one? No, the Julie the Andrews Julie one. Andrews <gasps> I was like, one. I know the Leslie Ann Warren one was. The Julie Andrews Cinderella was after this? Yes. Literally, I thought that one was so. I thought that one was. I thought it was like, for sure the first. First, because it look the clips I've seen look older. Yeah, you know. Yeah, but the thing is, is that genius Jerome Robbins 
somehow bringing musicals to television. Yeah. Like that's a that's a pioneer, you know. And it was pretty cinematic for what it was, I <laughs> right. would say. They recorded it twice. Mm-hmm. Both of those recordings ha- are lost and gone. So, because I thought the the one with Mary Martin was filmed in the early sixties. It is. That's oh, so they in the fifties, so around fifty five. Fifty five, five, fifty five, and they 56. didn't keep those. Mm-hmm. But then they brought the cast back, and it was the exact same cast for the the first two times that they filmed it. Yeah. Then by the time they film it again for you know in the sixties, they had to get new kids, I believe, because oh, they had grown up. But other than that, it was still pretty much the same cast. And then that was the one that they kept and would, um, you know, play throughout the years. I mean, there would be big chunks of time when it wasn't seen. But then they would find it and some television exec would be like, hey, let's put this on. Let's throw it on. And more people would see it and more people would see it. And you said that you watched it a gajillion times. I watched it so much. We had a VHS copy of it, so I don't know where it originated from. I'm sure my parents grew up watching it. But we had a VHS of it, and we loved it. My sister and I loved it so much. We would sing to it. We would dress up. She was always Wendy. I was everyone else, I guess. (laughs) Um, (laughs) But, yeah, we had, like, every nightgown I owned was my Wendy nighty because I loved Peter Pan so much. I loved it. That's fantastic. Yeah. There have been revivals of it since in terms of stage as well Mm -hmm. as the ones preserved on, you know, video. Mm -hmm. I mean, there were so many productions with Sandy Duncan. I love Sandy Duncan. I do, too. I saw her do it at the Schubert. Did you? When I was a kid. Yeah. She's kind of magical. Do you remember that Pinocchio musical that was on TV? Wait. Oh, my gosh. Yes. There are these types of titles that when we talk about them, it opens this— place in my brain that I forgot even existed. Yes. I'm trying to remember. We had a VHS of it because I loved Pinocchio as a child, too. (gasps) And she played Pinocchio, and I just remember her, like, walking with her elbows up. She was feisty. A little strut. That was Sandy Duncan. Yeah. So she took over as Roxy Hart in the revival of Chicago at some point. Oh, like the 97 one? Yeah. And I've heard that her Roxy is one of the best Roxies. I mean— I believe people it. have ever seen phenomenal. I'm like blown away by that Pinocchio now, and I really like <laughs> want to go YouTube it because you can find all that stuff on YouTube. I know. I'm so grateful. Hey, everybody. Let me talk to you about Musical Theater Guild. This is a nonprofit theater company located in Los Angeles that is basically a paradise for musical theater nerds. It's celebrating its 24th season at the Alex Theater in Glendale, California. And if you haven't been to one of these one night only events, you're missing out. Musical Theater Guild, also known as MTG, presents rarely staged or forgotten Broadway musicals in a semi-staged script-in-hand concert format that is always far more impressive than it deserves to be, seeing that they only have about 25 hours to put them on. They utilize professional union actors and a live orchestra. The next show is from Broadway's 2015 season. It's a show called It Should Have Been You. Have you ever listened to this thing? It's adorable. Here's the story. The Bride is Jewish. The groom is Catholic, her mother is a force of nature, his mother is a tempest and a cocktail shaker. It says it's one of the funniest musicals of the decade. I haven't seen it, so I don't know, but I'm going to take the copy's word for it. And if you've ever listened to the cast album, it's freaking cute. Uh, Let's all go see it, shall we? This musical is nominated for six Outer Critics Circle Awards three Drama League Awards, and three Drama Desk Awards. It starred Tyne Daly, so come and see some fantastic actors do it on Sunday, February 16th at 7 p.m. at the Alex Theater in Glendale, California. 
For tickets, please visit the Alex Theater's website, www.alextheater.org, or call, if you still use your phone, 818-243-2539. And you know what? To find out more information about MTG, visit musicaltheaterguild.com. And then Kathy Rigby has kind of become the, the Peter, Peter Pan. Pan. I feel like she's like the, the 80s, 90s Peter Pan. Well, yeah. I saw Sandy Duncan do it in the 90s as well. So I feel like they kind of crossed over. Sure. But I feel like every few decades we get a new. We had Mary Martin and mm-hmm. we had Sandy Duncan. Now we have Kathy Rigby and she's mm-hmm. like passing on the torch. Yeah. They hopefully revive it again. Yeah. I remember seeing the Kathy Rigby version and being like, Everyone is flying so fast now. Everyone, it's it's insane, and they've performed that version with Kathy Rigby all over the world. Mm-hmm. Um, the same version actually just got back from performing in Saudi Arabia it's as like the, the, the first... first ever Western like Broadway musical to go there. Kathy Rigby was not in it, but it was their production, mm-hmm. and I had friends do it. And how amazing! And that just shows how universal the story is as well. That the, the people out there got to see it. And they said children were in the aisles dancing. And it, wow. it was really wonderful. And the, the technicians there learned a lot about uh, the technology used to fly. Just and stagecraft in I mean, general, what sure. a But what a huge musical for them to be sent. Like, okay, we're bringing our first, you know, Western Broadway musical. And it's Peter Pan. And we're going to bring ZFX in. And everyone's flying. Right. Oh, and we okay. have bodies flying through the air. Right. Yeah. <laughs> what about... Oklahoma. <laughs> <laughs> That's but so I mean, exciting. It's so amazing. All right, let's talk about the story, shall we? Yeah. <clears throat> Excuse me. The show begins in the nursery of the darlings. Dun, 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 dun. <laughs> <laughs> and we meet Wendy, Moira, Angela Darling. Girl. And uh, her little brothers, John and mm-hmm. Michael, the youngest. They just get one name. Right. Rude. <laughs> I get it. That's true. They are siblings that are playing at being adults. Mm-hmm. Right from the get-go, yeah. one of our first things that we see are these kids pretending to waltz and be adults. And then the top hat becomes like the through line for John. Yeah. Which I love because I feel like his character is around 13, 14, which is right when you're deciding. Figuring and, things I mean, out. Back then when you were 14, it was like, get a job. Yes. <laughs> Step <laughs> so, up. It's yeah. time to be the man of the I house. I love that, that that's like his through line. We also meet Nana, who is the dog and mm-hmm. is, has always been played by a, the just the biggest, <laughs> p- poofiest costume you've ever seen. Someone in your on their knees. Some, yeah, exactly. <laughs> Somebody destroying their, their knees. Uh, but it's it's so sweet. And, mm-hmm. and once again, it's establishing right from the get-go. We have animals in this mm-hmm. show. Also, it's larger than life. Exactly. And so you're in already in a world of make-believe, even right. though it's a nursery in London and you, very practical, but you have this dog who's, who's like, enormous huge. because it's a person. <laughs> it looks and, like a Muppet. <laughs> yeah, right. Right. You're totally right. Like Snuffleupagus or something. <laughs> you also have Liza, who is the maid. She's yeah. not... She seems like she's maybe not the nanny. She can't be no. bothered with those children right. <laughs> at all. And it seems like they have two different responsibilities. Mm-hmm. Like Liza's responsible for the household, but Nana, the dog, is, is responsible for, for the children. children. Yeah. At which point, Mrs. Darling, the mom, comes in and she's like, children, oh, you're so lovely playing your, <laughs> playing your grown-up games. I'll play with you. And I'm totally willing to dive into all the symbolism mm-hmm. because I think J.M. Barry has all of the symbolism mm-hmm. in there. So I think it's worth looking into. I wonder if she, in a way, is an example for the audience to be like, play with these kids. Right. 
You know? And even a, an elegant woman who is going out for the evening can still like let loose a let little bit. loose and, you know, play with her children. And I think also the big thing there is Wendy's about to grow up. So right. she wants to like enjoy and cherish that moment with her, her one daughter. Mm, that's, that's really beautiful. That is beautiful. Enter Mr. Darling. Can't be bothered. Who is, who's blustery. This and... tie will not tie. <laughs> not round my neck. And bless, bless her heart. She has to tie a bow tie. Like, that's impressive. And he calls I, her mother. Not easy. Oh, right. It's always mother and father. Mother. They're going out on the town. Mm-hmm. The children are getting ready to go to bed. The dog helps them out, and the dad says, "Why do we have a dog as a nurse?" I'm not sure. I like that, that he just noticed, right? Like, like maybe that's a not sec. a great idea. <laughs> is she an employee? <laughs> and the mother goes, "No, we have to keep Nana." And the reason why is because, as I was telling the kids the story, I noticed somebody like a face looking in the window. Terrifying. terrifying. Also terrifying. <laughs> Low key. Yikes. So they go to bed. They're singing their tender shepherd. In the round. Yeah. Oh, how many times did I force my family to do that with me? So great. That one is written by Moose. Good job, Moose. Okay. So now yeah. I understand. Moose wrote tender shepherd. Okay. Yes. Mr. and Mrs. Darling leave. Mr. Darling changes into Captain Hook. Yeah. Unless Quick you're, change. Unless uh, you're Ken Deshaun. Uh, exactly. uh, and then you play. He played the one that died first. He went all out. He blacked out his teeth when he was a pirate. <gasps> oh. He loved a good teeth blackout. Yeah. So then he had to take all that off and beat Mr. Be Darling, Darling again. again. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So it works either way. Yeah. The parents leave. They're asleep. The windows fly open. <laughs> and Peter Pan in the form of... A beautiful woman yes. comes flying through the Spunky window woman. and talk about like star entrance. <laughs> it is really, crouched down. Kathy Rigby had like glitter spewing from her hands. It's I mean, amazing. It's pretty fantastic. But have you seen the Peter Pan fail? <laughs> now, this is actually a great <laughs> opportunity to talk about how this show is the best one for things to go wrong. That's literally how Play the Goes Wrong history. started was that company did Peter Pan Goes Wrong. Really? Yes. It's amazing. I bet. Hilarious. Next yes. Step. If you haven't seen Peter Pan fail on YouTube, by all means, yes. go check it out because there are so many opportunities for things to go wrong it's in this so show. Good. Oh, do you know what? We're going to actually pause right here because the beautiful thing about my experience with this show is that it was both my first show that I ever did and my first professional show I ever did. How cool is that, what? right? Yeah. So I was I was a Peter understudy because we had a boy Peter Pan. Oh. oh, when I did it, we had a boy Peter Pan. <clears throat> yeah. I had a big old crush on him. Oh, I'm sure. Yeah. And I was also a lost boy. <clears throat> I, was hey. one, I was one of the twins. So my job for anybody who has done the show or knows about the flying, you have these, you know, wires attached yeah. to your back that lift you up into the air. Now, when they're not attached to your back, they have to immediately be grounded by a weight or some sort of or some sort of hook, because if they don't, they they don't dangle. They fly up into the system, into the fly system because it's all weight based. That's right. So if you for some reason let go or it's not grounded to something, you have to stop the show, bring out a ladder, climb up and, you know, pull it back down again. Fast forward to my very professional production of Peter Pan, (laughs) where it was my job to unhook Wendy. Oh, did she have a one-point harness just in the Uh back? uh Uh-huh, uh-huh. Just for for this one entrance, Mm -hmm. she had a one-point. And so I I unhook her, 
and I'm supposed to very, you know, casually take it off stage so that nobody sees while other action is happening on stage. I'm walking across the stage with the wire and it gets stuck. It's like it's locked. Something's happening. And so I'm like pulling on it and looking up, seeing if something's wrong. The guys who are on the rail and doing Mm -hmm. the actual flying are like, oh, no, it's stuck. So they start jostling it up and down to see if it, if they can do it. In doing so, it starts lifting me off the <gasps> ground. Oh, my gosh. And all I'm thinking is, you have to save the show. <laughs> no pressure. <laughs> no pressure. You can't let the show stop. So it's slowly lifting me off. Now I don't have, like, I can barely touch the ground oh, with no. my tippy-tippy toes, but there's no traction for me to pull it off. At that point, an ASM, an assistant stage manager from Stage Left, runs on stage, grabs me around the waist, and just yanks really hard. <laughs> it it finally comes loose, and she drags me off like a vaudeville act, like da 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 da. da. <laughs> but you're in the air still. Exactly. <laughs> that's a, that's called Peter Pan Rescue, right? I want to see that. Oh my on gosh, YouTube. it was. Anyway, but this show has so many opportunities for that kind of buff- buffoonery. I would love to get Kathy Rigby in a room and be like, tell me about the worst. Oh, my gosh. I wonder if I know. I don't. I feel like I don't know any of those stories because they had that, like, locked in. Sure, that, sure. But when you are Peter Pan, mm-hmm. things better run like clockwork. Okay, so Peter Pan flies in. Oh, yes. my gosh. Yeah, we got a long ways to go. So Peter Pan comes in, and he's looking for his shadow with his friend Tinkerbell Mm -hmm. because his shadow has somehow detached itself from him. They never really explain that. Yeah, but, I mean, it's magic. Yeah, no question. So he finds his shadow, which suspiciously looks like, you know— A black nylon from Walgreens. Exactly. (laughs) (laughs) And he decides he's going to stick it on with soap. Because he's very sophisticated. He puts on the soap. It doesn't work, right? And And starts crying, which wakes up Wendy. I, I should also mention before that when he gets the shadow out of the drawer where he finds it, he accidentally shuts Tink in the drawer. She is mad. Yeah. So Tinkerbell's locked in that drawer when Wendy wakes up and says, Boy, why are you crying? Or if you're Maggie Smith, Hello, boy. <laughs> She's so good. I'm obsessed with Maggie Smith. I'm Wendy. Isn't it crazy that Maggie Smith... (laughs) Has always been older. That age? (laughs) Yes. I wonder how old she was. Well, Hook was early 90s, and I feel like I would have thought she was Downton Abbey age. I feel like they aged her, but she was like, this is my age inside, so this will be fine. Yeah. (laughs) She was young as Desdemona, and then after that... Never again. She Never again. She did grow up. Prime of Miss Brody was already <laughs> past her prime. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> Hello, boy. Wendy wakes up and, and asks him why he's crying. Mm-hmm. And, and he says, because I can't get my stupid shadow to stick mm-hmm. on. And she goes, oh, you're so silly. I'm much more grown up. I'll sew it on, which is so great. Like all of She's this stuff is, is so funny. So she sews on his shadow. And when he stands up, Ta-da! The shadow is Oh, there it is. And he is so excited that he sings I Got a Crow. I love that song. Okay, who wrote this? Moose. Okay. Yeah. So, I mean, two, two of the first ones and two, right out the gate. Right out the gate. Great, we, so. got, we got Moose. After I Got a Crow, she's a little put off by his, his confidence. He's very his, brazen. Oh, yeah, brazen. Mm-hmm. Exactly. But he begins to kind of explain who he is and where he's from. He doesn't have a mom. Uh, He lives in a place called Neverland. And then 
he sings a song about it, which is one of the most the beautiful. most beautiful songs at any age. I have someone chills. written by Julie Stein. Okay, okay, there it is. Yeah. So I was gonna say Tender Shepherd and I Got a Crow seem like they have different writers, but no, right? Yeah. Because I was thinking Tender Shepherd and Neverland are along those lines of really sweet storybook songs. Mm. And then I Got a Crow is like, well, we need a big Broadway number for Mary. Sure, sure, sure. Yeah, the first one that we hear is is Never Neverland. Which when Mary Martin sings Never Neverland and in the TV movie, she is like seated in crisscross applesauce. The whole time. And sounds phenomenal. It's so simple. And I have chills again. It's simple and it's beautiful and it's not even probably a half hour into the show. Mm-hmm. You're already getting this beautiful Broadway ballad. Mm-hmm. That's very true. Gorgeous. From there, Wendy meets Tinkerbell because uh, he realizes that he locked her in the drawer. <laughs> and like you said, Tinkerbell is peeved. Yeah. Even more than that, she's a little jealous of Wendy. Yeah. Because Tink is the girl in his life. Yeah. He don't think he thinks of her like that. I mean, no. Story of all of our lives. Am I right, ladies? <laughs> <laughs> Can I get a what, what? Can I get a what, what? And so this kind of antagonism starts between between those two. How do the boys wake up? Because let's be honest, Peter has been crowing and singing at the top of his lungs for about 10 minutes now, and they have yet to even stir. They didn't. Wake up during the Neverland <laughs> reprieve. No, but then I can't I remember Tink, what like, wakes knock up. Like knock something over. Is that it? Or and they're like, oh, what's going on? So yeah. then they wake up, and what Peter wants Wendy to do is tell him the ending of Cinderella. So because you know he was the face. Spoiler alert: he was the mm-hmm. face in the window listening to Mrs. Darling tell the story of Cinderella. So he wants Wendy to tell him the rest of the story so he can go home and to Neverland and tell his little tribe of lost boys. It's so pure. Right? And she goes, oh, well, um, maybe I can just come with you and, like, be their mother. Or maybe that's his idea. I think, yeah, I was trying to remember because I was thinking the rivalry between her and Tinkerbell is so funny because in his mind, all the women in people's lives are mothers. That's yeah. it's like something he's heard of. Mothers. Nur- nurturing. Mothers. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And the idea comes about that Wendy can just be their mom. So they, easy. they can play house mm-hmm. and she can tell them all the stories that they want. So in order to get to Neverland, which is second start of the right and straight on till morning, they all need to learn how to fly. All you need is a little bit of pixie dust, which he, you know, sprinkles <laughs> on them. And I love a good glitter moment. I love a glitter moment. And then all you have to do is what? Think lovely thoughts. Hopscotch. Candy. And Michael just keeps on thinking about candy, and it's Mm -hmm. not happening. And then Peter says, think lovelier thoughts, Michael, and he thinks of Christmas and then (laughs) flies into the air. And it's Uh, so magical to to just see a little boy, like, just fly into the air and live his best life. And then everybody else starts, you know, flying as well in this great song called I'm Flying, which written by Moose. Okay. Yeah, Moose is doing great. Moose is doing great. So we got three for Moose and one for, for Julie. Yeah, that's right. So the, this show was split into three acts, which oh, I yes. didn't realize. And this is the end of the first act, probably because the the stage— Reset. Yeah, the stage magic wasn't at the point where you could change scenery that fast. Mm-hmm. At the end of I'm Flying, that was the end of the first act. 
And then we and then they came back into Neverland for top of act two. Gorgeous. But man, is there anything quite like seeing those bodies flying back and forth on the stage with the star drop in the background? I have chills again. I've I'll say that a million times. It's so magical. It is. And they're all holding hands. And as a child, like doing that part, I'm sure for you the same. It felt so magical. Yeah, it is. You know, just being up there. There's nothing like it. My harness was too big and probably maybe unsafe because I just kind of like hung in it. But we didn't do the across the way. We just kind of did an up and down down. thing because we had, you know, but still so magical. And then watching it when they hold hands and do the tracking, Mm -hmm. which they've done, I think, in every version. Sandy Duncan, Mary Martin, Kathy Rigby. For sure. So magical. Those harnesses uh, are uncomfortable, Mm -hmm. to say the least. You have to be a little bit careful, especially when you're a boy. Mm -hmm. But it it also just puts a lot of pressure on areas that don't usually hold weight. Does that make sense? And doing it as a child, you're not thinking about, oh, my thighs, oh, this. And then as an adult, I had to wear a harness a few years ago, a two-point, which is just a thigh squeezer and a tummy squeezer. And that's when I decided, like— Oh, my body? What? <laughs> but as a kid, you're like, I don't care. Right? I get to fly. Yeah. Now they're in Neverland, and oh. traditionally we meet animals, mm-hmm. kind of like Nana. Oh, the the Mary Martin version does have those animals. Right? You had, I mean, besides the crocodile, which is— Wasn't there like a bird that came out? There's like this strange ostrich type ostrich thing. Ostrich ballet. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. And then a kangaroo with a powder puff. Remember yeah. the kangaroo? <laughs> And then there was one other, oh, a lion that was that almost seemed kind of like a cowardly lion. Yes, he got scared. And then we meet the tribe of Lost Boys, which is, you know, Peter's family. There are twins in there. Mm-hmm. There's Toodles. Toodles, who's like the youngest. Mm-hmm. There's um, Rufio. <laughs> no. Oh, listen, if only. What if? Yes. Uh, let's see who Rufio. I'm trying. I'm trying to think who else there is. There's like Toodles, slightly is one of them. <clears throat> slightly, right? Mm-hmm. And a lot of those were played by women in the Kathy oh. Rigby version. Oh um, yeah, like sh- shorter women mm-hmm. who would probably understudy Peter. Um, but I also Peter Pan is one of those shows where anyone could play anything, which mm-hmm. I love. So that's um, great. And they have made a house mm-hmm. underground through which the entrance is a tree. Mm-hmm. And the reason it's so incognito is because their greatest enemies on Neverland are the pirates. Mm-hmm. So they hear the pirates come in and they run away. So the the pirates come out and what a funny band of misfits they are. <laughs> They're kind of like a band of middle-aged men. Yeah. You know, like they kind of like dads who... <laughs> who black out their teeth. <laughs> <laughs> who black out their teeth. <laughs> And play and play music in the garage because <laughs> because their their leader Captain Hook and his like right mate Smee mm-hmm. do their best thinking when music is played, and so whenever Captain Hook needs to think of a of a plan, he asks the pirates to to play, and they say mm-hmm. at what tempo? At this point, they're trying to figure out how to get rid of the Lost Boys. Which makes it non- less threatening, I think, if they're more of like a funny group of exactly. men and I playing love instruments. Because it. it is a little bit like, we have to just kill these little boys. Right. No, but it's <laughs> funny that they're a little foppish. They're yeah, a total mess. Foppish. and Non-threatening. Yeah, non-threatening. Really non-threatening. It's like more, more comedic than evil. Mm-hmm. So the first tempo that they pick is the tango. Yes. Right? 
so they start playing this beat for uh, for Captain Hook, and he decides that the plan that they're going to do is bake a cake. And the cake is going to have poisonous icing, which will make it green and very tempting for yeah. the Lost Boys. And then they'll eat the cake because they don't have a mother to tell them not to eat too many sweets. Yes. And in doing so, we'll die. Haha, this one, plan is perfect. One, and when I listen to this song, all I think is Donna Summer, MacArthur Park. Do you know? <laughs> Wait, what? <laughs> Do you know that song? I from think like the, so. that disco song, MacArthur Park, where she talks about like someone left a cake out in the park and it rained and the green icing is running down. Oh, I mean, yeah, I guess. So random. That, Very random. And and I'm not saying that Peter Pan is random. Like no. you should have a cake with green icing. That's You're in Neverland. Smart. Yeah. I'm talking, why is Donna Summer <laughs> singing about a cake in the park with green icing? Anyway, a hook's tango, moose. Moose. Okay. Yep. Moose is really bringing it in with the genre switching. Absolutely. I'm there for it. From there, we meet Tiger Lily mm-hmm. because the only thing that the pirates are kind of afraid of Besides the crocodile, I mean Captain Hook is afraid of the crocodile. Yeah. Oh yeah, no, that's actually what it is. The cro- he, he his hears fear is the, the crocodile, and the reason he's afraid of the crocodile is because it ate his right hand, left hand, his right hand. Yeah, and he, he was holding a, a clock at the time, so whenever he hears the tick tock, he knows that the crocodile is coming after him to eat more of him. Which talk about symbolism that, <laughs> that like this entity has got a taste for your mortality and you hear the tick tock of time like you know reminding you of your the, your mortal end. So spooky. Come on. Like a physical manifestation of the tick tock of, of your of life. Dying. Yeah. <laughs> it's pretty brilliant. Ugh. Uh, and he has a piece of you already. Exactly. Aww. Because time is inevitable, right? Mm-hmm. It's always going to be taking a little piece of you. Mm-hmm. Dang. That's deep. So the pirates run off. Then we meet the Indians, mm-hmm. who the pirates are also not fans of. Yeah. This is the moment where I'm like, gosh, dang it. How can something be so cute and racist at the same time? Oh, the Mary Martin version is not okay. Okay, so Jay- She is blonde as the day is long. Right. And (laughs) now I understand kind of what they were going for, and I'm not Mm -hmm. excusing this at all. But this is what I get from what they were doing. Kids back in the day played cowboys and Indians. Mm -hmm. Unfortunately, it stems from racism. Oh, for sure. I mean, the people playing cowboys and Indians weren't actual Native Americans. Mm -hmm. And I'm pretty sure the white kids playing had a very clear idea of who was the good guy and who was the bad guy. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? As innocent as it may seem, it stems from a place that is super, super ugly. And I'm I'm sure that Mr. Barry is playing on that childhood idea of being something that they're actually not, Mm -hmm. which is why I think that they went so completely blonde tiger lily with it. Because you mentioned King and I. Mm -hmm. Jerome Robbins is, is very adept at... Doing research within a culture and choreographing, sure. but that isn't what's really happening here. It it feels to me more like kids pretending to be something. Yeah, I think that storyline is just troubled if you think about the Disney version as well. It's Absolutely. It's very and not so, okay now because as a society now we are learning more about past cultures and what the history books lied to us about. So we sure. can sit and say, okay, that, that was not okay. This is not I okay. Productions never do it like that again. Right. And so I, I wonder even— and and I know that like the Kathy Rigby version went the way of trying to then 
make them actual Native Americans. They do the cool um, ugawug dance with the sticks, and they do drumming. So it's more of like a, a, a culture and people who are really in tune with the land. But then I don't know if that's good either. Right. Because it's still not actual Native Americans right. living in, in Neverland. And then are you just kind of— Stroking someone's ego by making them hot and cool. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, that doesn't seem respectful either. So I'm like, what do you even do with this section? I don't know. It's become like, I can't begin to have an idea of how to, like, make that better. Yeah, me either. But I think the more conversations like this we have, the more people will step up and say, I actually am a dramaturg and... I have a great idea. I have a great idea. Mm-hmm. And and I'm more than willing to just yeah. go with that idea. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so we meet Tiger Lily and her, and her tribe, mm-hmm. literal tribe. Then the Lost Boys come back out um, after the pirates and everybody have left And because they're expecting Peter to come back. The first person that they see flying back, however, is Wendy, not Mm -hmm. Peter. And they mistake Wendy for a bird, so they they shoot her down. <laughs> and um, and so Wendy crashes, she, but she's not actually dead. Mm-mm. One of the Lost Boys unhooks her from her fly line. And then they get and escorted they, off stage. <laughs> and then they get pulled off stage wait, wait, by, by an assistant stage manager. <laughs> and then Peter and, you know, Michael and John— all come back as well, and they're like, what have you done? This was your mother. You killed your mother. <laughs> Don't they banish the one who who supposedly shot her? Peter's like, well, now I got to banish you, and it lasts for five seconds. And then, and then they bring him back, yeah. which is very kid-like. Qu- yeah, very quick conflict resolution. You're not my friend. Because kids are so quick to forgive. Isn't which that amazing? I wish adults were as well. I know. I know some adults, they can hold a grudge. Listen. Even when— you're mad at your parents, mm-hmm. and you're like, I'm never speaking to you again. Throw yourself on the bed. <laughs> and then half hour later, you're like, what's for dinner? You know, because— Oh, that was me. Because you, ha- you, you need them. You, there's, <laughs> no, there's no way you can't need them. Mm-hmm. And I, I love that about parenthood. I can't wait to just laugh when <laughs> when my children are I mad at me. You, you <laughs> my That's going to be one of the more difficult things to me uh, is to not laugh at their feelings. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yep. Because everything's so— Heightened. Heightened, but then also oh. so brief. So I'm... heightened, so brief. <laughs> I think my niece does stuff like that a lot. She's four. Something was really heightened recently, and my sister and I both had to turn away because we were laughing. But to her, it was like— Yeah, but you don't want to invalidate their experience and no, feelings. Not at like, all. by all means, I don't want to no. do that. But good heavens, they're entertaining. <laughs> <laughs> so Peter and the Lost Boys decide to build a house for Wendy— as, you know, kind of a sorry for trying to kill you, I assume. It's fine. <laughs> um, so they build a little house for Wendy, and they sing a song. Okay. Written by Julie. What? Yeah. I was going to say Moose. Yep. Because it's a little more of like a ditty. Yep. This whole idea of playing house. Mm-hmm. And they build a really cute house. They do. I'm trying to picture all the versions. They, it's great. It's like driftwood. Oh, they and... like paint in the Mary Martin version. Oh, do they? They I don't. They bring out that. things and they like do some painting. Oh, I loved it. Oh, that's so yeah. cute. Meanwhile, the pirates have presented the cake. Mm-hmm. Right? They like hit it. It's like smoking. <laughs> but now <laughs> it's just like nothing, Yum. Yeah, nothing wrong with this thing. <laughs> But because now they have a mother in mm-hmm. Wendy, and she's acting like a mother, she's like, no sweets before dinner. Mm-hmm. You're not eating that. And the pirates are foiled again. Now they have to get Wendy. Right. So now they have to think of something else. That means he needs another tempo. A tarantella. And it says a tarantella. Yeah. Now, 
the production that I did, which was a gorgeous production at Tuacon in Southern oh, Utah. Oh, I was going to ask you where it was. Yeah. Oh, it was at Tuacon. It was fantastic. Oh, I and mean, they love their flying there. Yeah. It's amazing. And Neverland has never looked more stunning oh, than, you know, in that gorgeous the actual outdoor red theater. Rocks, so. Yeah. <laughs> incredible. But also, there's lots of wildlife there. So I remember <laughs> at one point during the Tarantella, there was like a tarantula. Oh, I would, I, I would have quit. <laughs> you have, you, you would have, have never seen me. You again. have tarantulas and a lot of scorpions because it's in the <laughs> desert. It's outside, and you know sometimes they waddle on stage, and it's even more amazing when it's during a oh, song no. whose tempo is named after the actual arachnid. Mm-hmm. So they do the tarantella, and they decide to kidnap Wendy. Is that is that yeah. what they get from that song? I think I'm trying to think of the tarantella. I think that's what they decide to do. From there, they have to go to school because like kids go to school right and so Peter's going to teach them because Mm -hmm. he's like the father and Mm -hmm. Wendy's the mother and the lesson that he teaches them is I won't grow up I'm gonna guess guess moose yes Woo. okay so moose except for Neverland kind of wrote some of the earworms like I think I got a crow and um I would say Neverland and I won't grow up are pretty much the iconic ones yeah I Won't Grow Up, which is so great. All of those lyrics, mm-hmm. which, you know, shout out to Carolyn, yeah. are so fun and and play in that world of children not realizing how beautiful they are as yes. children, you know? And the call and response, right. is, you know, is his way of teaching and also much like most childhood games. And every, you know, every elementary school, when their choir comes up, it's the second graders are doing I Won't Grow Up. And sure. I've directed kids doing that before, just that song. And adults love it because they know now what being an adult actually is. And Absolutely. So it's kind of a nice wink to real adulthood. Listen, if you're a teacher and you're out there and you've got kids, do I won't grow up. <laughs> yeah, because you because somebody will do that the choreography first and yes. then all they have to mm-hmm. do is repeat you it. You get the one kid who's a star. Yeah. You bring him to the front or her. From there does Tiger Lily get kidnapped? Yes. Why, how do they kidnap Tiger Lily? To, like, lure Peter? So Peter has to rescue Tiger Lily, which actually yes. is kind of also kind of a source of contention for Wendy. They are all fighting over him, and he could not be less interested so in female relationships. It is kind of true, though. Aren't Don't girls get crushes? Yes. They understand the whole idea of crushes before boys, I think, in general. Yes. And this, going very deep, society also places pressure on girls, I think, to be like, okay, well, your role is going to be a wife and mother. So, right. you know, Wendy's like, okay, I got the mother thing covered. Now I have all these kids, so now I guess I have to be a wife as well. I gotta get my man. Mm-hmm. Right. So it's all about, well, he's the one boy I know who's my age, so I guess he's mine. Right. It's very, like, it's very deep on, on women's roles as well. Even my, I have a, a niece who's the eldest of her other siblings. Mm-hmm. And she has always been a Wendy. Yeah. Where she's like, I'm the, I am a mom. That's my sister. Yeah. Because she's, she's, I mean, it's just the two of us, but she's older. And she took her role as my big sister very seriously. Mm-hmm. And now she's a teacher and a mom and, you know, and so much more than that. But, you know, I think when you're an older sibling, you really take on the the role of, like, nurturer. And I think for Wendy, she's going through her own stuff in this play, in this show, in the book. And mm-hmm. it's really, as a girl, it's really sweet and sad, too, you yeah. know? Growing up, is there is something— She's moving out of the nursery. Well, and... when you talk about, like, always getting chills about this show, part of it is the melancholy mm-hmm. of of having grown up and knowing— 
what that transition is and not really even knowing when you're in that transition mm-hmm. until you're out of it. Yeah. And then you're like, oh, I guess I'm an adult now. Right. You and know it, what I and mean? it happens in a way that you would never expect. Oh, um, for sure. Like, for me, it was when my dad died. Yeah. I think that a loss like that is definitely when you feel like you need to step up. I guess and, I, I am. I guess I'm an adult now. Mm-hmm, yeah, I think for me it was when I I went to school at Irvine, and so I was still pretty close. But when I went through kind of my first bout of being actually depressed about something, but I wasn't near my parents, mm. um, I was like, oh, I have to just to deal with this myself and I have to have a job and I have to be okay. I can't just run home. And it wasn't a huge loss, but it felt like a loss because I was somehow having to to be there for myself. I mean, there's a part where Peter gets left alone and yeah. it's really Devastating. heartbreaking. Yeah. yeah oh, back to Moose. I know, right? <laughs> Get some cheering up. <laughs> so then a uh, mysterious lady happens, which, like I said, it's the scene between Peter and Hook. Peter's mm-hmm. using his voice in different ways to confuse him. He's like both the spirit of the forest, mm-hmm. but then also this mysterious woman that's, allure, that's alluring and, mm-hmm. and almost seductive. Oh, a siren. Siren. Is yeah, 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 yeah. Mm-hmm. And Captain Hook, because he's a stupid adult, like is falling for <laughs> all of it. It also kind of takes advantage of the fact that Peter is played by a woman and can do say, like mm-hmm. this coloratura type thing. I wonder if they wrote that for Mary. Yeah. Thinking like, okay, well, we got to get her doing her crazy soprano stuff in here too. And yeah. That Mary Martin, man. That Mary. She's so fantastic. I like her MM. I do. I like I her, love a lot. her a lot. Tiger Lily gets saved. Mm-hmm. Uh, Captain Hook is foiled again. Then, oh, because Tiger Lily is saved, they do Uggawug, yeah. which is celebrates and we've talked about. After the big celebration, it's time to go to bed. Mm-hmm. So the Lost Boys and Peter and Michael and John and Wendy all go to the to the hut. Mm-hmm. And because it's time to go to bed, they need a lullaby. So Wendy kind of asks him to sing yeah. a song. And in newer versions, it became like this beautiful duet. For Wendy and loved. Peter. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it really gives some insight to Peter because the song is him remembering something that was sung to him. So he remembers his mother. Which, yeah. we So we don't know what happened to him. Was he abandoned? No one really knows. But for whatever reason, now he's... <laughs> it makes me want to cry. I know. and Now he, now he doesn't want to grow up. No. Because he doesn't have... He wasn't raised to grow up. And also, it's I think it's his like defense mechanism. Absolutely. It's being the leader of these. We never wanted to grow up anyway. You I, know, don't, it's, I don't want to be like these stupid adults who, right. who made this my life. Yeah. And Ugh. it's heartbreaking because he's not going to come out and say, you know, I actually never want to grow up because I never knew my mother, but I remember her and I'm sad about it. You yeah, know? no, children, Everything's children a don't defense have, mechanism. We, we're not mm-hmm. that self-aware when we're kids. Right. We just act, you know? Yeah. Um, so he sings that beautiful song written by Julie. Okay. So that one and, and Neverland are the ones that really get you. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, seriously. After that, now we're kind of wrapping things up. Yeah, because they Wendy said, "Okay, well, actually, we got to wrap this up, and I got to go home." And Peter thought, "What? You don't want to stay here forever?" And she said, "No, I have my family." Right. And I think that is heartbreaking for him. What do you mean, your fam? I'm your family now. Exactly. It's hard. And so the other lost boys are kind of like, "Wait, we're gonna go too." Yeah. You you have a family. Do you mm-hmm. think we could fit in? 
And and they Peter's like, leave. well, I'm not, I don't want that. And it's so sad. It, and it is so sad. So they all leave, and mm-hmm. Peter refuses to go, and he is crying on the bed and yeah. kind of cr- cries himself to sleep a little bit. And unbeknownst to him, as they were all exiting, the pirates were grabbing him. Yeah, yeah, uh, because they have found out where this secret mm-hmm. hiding place is, their secret house. Because they kidnapped Tinkerbell. Mm, no. no, no, they did not. But they do. They leave some poison. For him to drink. For him to drink. and But he thinks that it's his medicine uh, because Wendy, was, Wendy being the mother, was like, yep. make sure to take your medicine. And so he sees the poison thinking that it's his medicine and is going to take it. Tinkerbell's like, no, no, don't. And so she sacrifices herself in a bit of little stage magic and drinks yeah, the poison. That hurt gets me too. And then he realizes. I know. We're gonna, are we going to cry? <laughs> <laughs> and, then uh, he, and then he realizes that Tink is dying. And that really would just be it for him because, I mean. Yeah. Ugh. Tinkerbell is his family. <laughs> so then we've been told, you know, right at the beginning of the show that a fairy fairies were born when a baby cries. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> we're going to both lose it. <laughs> and that baby's cry turned yeah. into a fairy. And and <laughs> but because there are because children know so much now, there are fewer and fewer fairies. Mm-hmm. And so we already know that like fairies are on their way out. But then in like the best piece of audience participation in all theater history. Yes. There is no better than when Peter breaks the fourth wall and looks at the audience and asks everybody to clap to save team. Yeah. I don't know if they do this in the Mary Martin version, but I know in the Kathy Rigby one, they have cameras on the audience. So oh, you really? see kids like <gasps> clapping. Oh, it's everything. It's <sighs> so cute. Just completely invested. They are so invested. And that's literally what the story is. It what is. the story needs at that moment is for everyone to believe. And then you get the parents out there like, I believe now. <laughs> no. <sighs> it's incredible. It's just amazing, amazing storytelling. Mm-hmm. And so then Teen comes back to life. Yeah. Everybody is so excited. Yeah. And it, then it launches us into to the climax. Into the basically, climax. Yeah. Like what an incredible momentum into, into this last part of the mm-hmm. ship. So now we're at the ship. Uh, all of the lost boys and the children are about to walk the plank. Walk the plank. Peter sneaks onto the ship with Tiger Lily mm-hmm. and and the Indians, right? To help. To help. Yeah. And he once again uses his trusty voice his throwing trusty. skills. Oh my gosh! It's <laughs> his voice. Teacher. His impeccable impressions. <laughs> Peter Pan, if he was ever oh. to grow up, would be a voiceover artist. <laughs> Tricks everyone. <laughs> They they call him the do the doodle do the doodle do because they keep sending <laughs> pirates to you know take care of this voice. They think it's like in the ship. It's right. scary. And they and then they meet their demise. And and once a pirate gets you know, yeah, then they hear a cockadoodle do, mm-hmm. and the kids know that it's Peter because yep. of the you know crowing. But the pirates don't. So they're, they're all real, real dumb. Right. Yeah. <laughs> Once again, <laughs> dumb adults. I'm not going to let it happen. <laughs> <laughs> so the the pirates, uh, you know, kind of get eliminated one by one. And then there's this big fight scene mm-hmm. in which the Indians and the Lost Boys and everybody, you know, and I and I remember I was hitting somebody with my teddy bear. Yeah. And, and it was my brother. <gasps> my brother was a pirate. Oh, I love that. And so I made sure that I just got to smack him Pummel good and him. hard with my teddy bear. I think I like kicked a few people. Yeah. Just was generally small and cute in the back. That's amazing. And then there's a a big fight between Mm -hmm. Peter and Captain Hook 
there's a bomb somehow oh, associated gosh. with it. And <laughs> and I don't remember quite how that happens, but for whatever reason, Captain Hook ends up in the water. Yes. Where there's the crocodile and the bomb. So regardless, I think he's kind of done. Bye. Yeah. yeah. Bye. <laughs> Real quick change back to Mr. Darling. Exactly. Oh, but they do sing that waltz song before all of that happens, Captain Hook's waltz. And it's it's actually really funny. Captain Hook. Oh, yes. Captain Hook. That one is so good. It's so fun. Written by Julie. Okay. And I actually get that one because comedy comes in threes. Yes. Right? So you had the tango, the tarantella, and now they needed the third the one. Waltz. And so it's the waltz. Mm-hmm. And that's kind of the celebration that they've won until yes. all of this happens. And, and it's so funny with those actors ad-libbing and them dancing. and ugh, It's amazing. Unfortunately, their celebration doesn't last. Captain Hook and everybody are out of here. Yep. And it's time to go home. Yeah. Now we go back to the Darlings Nursery where mom is just beside herself because her children are gone. And Nan is there, the dog, and she's singing Tender Shepherd all by herself. And they join in and, and then come they, through. And then they, they sing with her. And that's how she knows that she's been reunited with her kids. It's a glorious, beautiful reunion. And kind of in like a 101 Dalmatian sort of way, <laughs> it's not just a reunion with them. But they now they have all in. of these lost boys. And, <laughs> and maybe a pirate or two pops in if you had a big cast. <laughs> <laughs> that's adorable. I would love that. Do, I feel like I've seen, seen that? that. They all just kind of start pouring in through the window. And she's right. like, will we have enough food? <laughs> and Mr. Darling is like, well, you know what? I guess we can. But mm-hmm. will you mind me? Will you promise to grow up? We will grow up. And there's a reprise of we will grow up. And that's really sweet because now everyone's on the same page yeah. about life except for Peter. And Wendy knows this. Mm-hmm. And so she looks to the window and says, like, come visit us, Peter. Oh. We'll miss you. And that was originally where the play stopped. Oh, wow. And it wasn't until they started doing all of the revisions that they added this next part, which is... um, me. (laughs) You're right. So Wendy grows up and now has her own daughter named Jane. (laughs) Katie's crying. Sorry. (laughs) (laughs) And once again, the windows open. Peter comes in thinking, because he doesn't understand time and time doesn't exist really for him thinking that no time has passed. Mm -hmm. And he's looking for John and Michael. Right. And they're not there. Yeah. But he does see a girl girl and thinks that it's Wendy, but it's not. In fact, Wendy is this girl's mother. And Peter's kind of beside himself Mm -hmm. because he's like, you know, you grew up. And she says, what is it, ever so much more than 20, which I'm like, how old is that? Like 30? (laughs) (laughs) Can't be that old, Yeah, she's like. (laughs) Um, But. Old enough now that she can't fly to Neverland yeah. anymore. Even that feeling of like, I can be childlike, but I can't be childish anymore. Yeah. And it's also like maybe she doesn't want to leave her responsibilities. She's mm-hmm. a mother now. Who knows what her job is? You exactly. Know? There's so much more. That you, with so much. There's so much more that you have to think about and consider besides I just want to go to Neverland. Right. But the beautiful thing is that she can still experience it through her daughter. Mm-hmm. Which, yeah. for me, as an uncle, as a gunkle, to experience Christmas through my nieces and nephews, Listen. all of a sudden made Christmas more enjoyable than it had even been when I was young. Yes. It is the best. Right? I had my, like, fifth Christmas this year with my – one of my nieces is four. And then my littlest one is one and a half. They are so much fun. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's just uh, – it's pure magic. It's it, the it, best. it is Neverland without going mm-hmm. to Neverland, you know? 
so then Jane carries on the tradition mm-hmm. and and goes with Peter to spend some time in Neverland and Wendy watches. And then that's how the show ends with oh. the little reprise of that beautiful song. And the kids are like, great, awesome. Right, and right, the parents are all that. like, when did I grow up? <laughs> <laughs> the kids are like, the flying was awesome. And, mm-hmm. and the, the grownups are like, I can't even breathe. It is. <laughs> and I think, you know, and this is silly, but there's always a huge line for the Peter Pan ride at Disneyland. 45 minutes to an hour and a half. Always the longest. You are absolutely right. Everyone loves that. Story, ride, movie, everything. Because it is just a way to escape. And Lord, if we don't need some escapism right about now, always, you know. The fact that you can escape and be reminded about what matters Mm -hmm. is just so inspired. Yeah. Yeah. Everyone needs a refresh in Neverland and then to come back and be reminded, you know. Yes. New will to live and – That's so true. Mm -hmm. And we're not done telling the story. I know that La Jolla is doing Fly, Fly? which is all being told from Wendy's perspective. And then there's something called Wendy and Peter or Peter and Wendy, I believe, in there was in D.C., which is kind of also Wendy's side of it. Oh, wow. Um, I don't think it's a musical. And then Finding Neverland. Which has been asked for us to cover, mm-hmm. so I, I will do it because I'm dedicated to covering the shows right. that people write in and ask me to cover. Get Cameron but, Bond in here for that one. I know, right? Yep. Get Cam in. Yeah. But I think it was important to cover Peter Pan first before we look at some of these other offshoots. Other or, offshoots. Yeah. Of anyway, thank you, Jerry Robbins. That's yeah. all. And, you know, Moose and Julie who— Juice and Mooley. Juice and Mooley. <laughs> <laughs> who, who actually, for the amount of people that worked on this— It's pretty seamless. It's pretty seamless, right? I, when you were telling me it didn't seem like one voice did this and one voice did that, it really seems like it was all um, the same. Thank you, Katie, for Thank being you. here. I had such a wonderful time talking to you. I hope I didn't talk too much. Oh, are you kidding me? It's <laughs> literally a podcast. This is what you're supposed to do. Okay. So good job. <laughs> and I love that we have uh, such a personal connection to it. And that's kind of the power of musicals and about participating in the performing arts is that these become part of who you are. Mm-hmm. These shows and stories become part of who you are. And whether you're on stage or off stage, I think kind of exploring that brings so much joy and maybe makes us better people. I think so as well. And I think this is one of those shows that brings to life not only the magic of theater, but the magic of life. Amen. Amen. As always, if you have any shows that you want us to cover on a musical theater podcast, email me at a musical podcast at gmail.com. Remember to follow us on Instagram and Twitter at a musical podcast for more great content. In the meantime, I got a crow. <laughs> I was going to say, go take a trip to Neverland. And oh, you're like, and I, I got, got a crow. So who's the moose and who's the Julie? <laughs> one of us is a moose and one of us is a Julie. <laughs> That's the best thing. Are you a moose or a Julie? That's going to be the new Instagram yes. like, scroller. I like, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> Bye, everybody. Bye.
Hey, it's Leslie Odom Jr. here on the Broadway Podcast Network to tell you about the RISE Theatre Directory, a program of maestro music. RISE is a national online resource designed to connect and empower backstage and administrative and creative theatre professionals from underrepresented backgrounds. If you work or aspire to work in the theater community, this can help you find your next project. And if you hire theater professionals, search the Rise Theater directory to find your next team. Create your profile now and get more information by visiting risetheater.org. That's theater with an R-E-R-I-S-E-T-H-E-A-T-R-E dot org because only together we rise.